You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I was in a place of business the other day and I um, was talking to the person who owned that business talking about some of the employees that they had. That, and I was bragging on some of the employees and, and then I, I said about, she said, well, she brought up one employee and said, you know, he's not quite as polished as the others. I said, yeah, I've noticed that. He's, he's a little bit, maybe a little bit slower, this or that. I don't know, we're just talking. And she began then to tell me his story, began to talk about some of the things that he had gone through. His dad had left him, I think, when he was a baby. He was raised by his mother, and his mother had just died recently, and he was living with a friend. And as she began to tell me his story, began to talk about his life, it began to help me understand uh, a lot more about him. I want to tell you today that I believe today that some things can happen in your life that will affect you, that will change you. But anyway, and I think you're going to see something today that can change and affect your life and my life forever. So looking at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, and let's take a moment and let's bow for prayer, okay? Our Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, dear Lord, that you will do what only you can do, and that is to get a hold of us, Lord, and do what only can be done through you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that the enemy has done everything that he could here, the, here lately to affect me, even today. Uh, Ledge is flying back in, and uh, I'm concerned about Ledge and Reggie getting back home safely. I've got that on my mind. Uh, Jeffrey's sick. He's not able to be here today. And Janet and the praise team did a tremendous job, but I'm worried about Jeffrey and uh, hoping he's all right. And then on top of that, I got a message from Amy, and Sheila's out. She won't, I don't even think she's gotten it yet, that uh, my little grandson, Canaan, fell, hit his head on the door jam, and they're at the ER with, uh, with little Canaan, who's got a big place on his head. Now, I know my daughter, Amy, and I know this. She's going to be worried about him because there was a little boy that fell in a church there in Tupelo, hit his head, they didn't think it was anything, and he's been in ICU and had all kinds of complications since then. So uh, it's been a lot on me, a lot on me this morning. We were in Atlanta this past weekend doing, uh, doing an interview there about the book, and uh, so it's been real hectic. I'm talking about the keys to a great church, and the first one, the first one is that of unity. So we're going to, we're going to take a moment, we're going to pray, and that I'm going to get my mind in, uh, in gear. Okay, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we love you. Father, I don't think we can ever pray too much. Lord, I think sometimes we just have to slow down, may have to pray several times through this message just to get me through it. Father, first of all, I just pray for uh, those people that I mentioned a moment ago. That, dear Lord, that you give them safe journeys, that you heal their bodies. And Lord, there are other people in this room right now that their minds and their hearts may be pulled in multitudes of different directions. So I pray, dear Lord, that you bring our hearts back here. Tune them into what you want to say and do in our lives. 
And Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you would do something that would change us forever. Now, Lord, I ask you to cleanse our hearts. Lord, may my heart be a heart that you can use today. May my mouth be a voice piece in your hand. May you speak to this congregation, dear Lord, in some way through me. But Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that we would be sensitive to your will. And Lord, we love you so much. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, everybody got Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, hold up your Bibles. Everybody got a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, get near somebody that has a Bible. Okay? Now, I know some of you use your phone, and that's all right. I have the Bible on a on my iPhone as well, and there's no problem with that. But if I see you texting God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think something's not quite right here, okay? If you start sending a text to God, I'm going to get a little bit worried. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and what Paul's going to do here is Paul is shifting from the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul's been talking about what we believe. What we believe as Christians, Paul's talking about theology, now in chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul starts talking about putting that theology, putting our beliefs into practice. In other words, let's say it again. Listen to me closely. You can tweet this on Twitter later on. Your belief, what you believe, will affect how you behave. And all God's people said, Amen. What you believe will affect how you, belay, how you behave. If I tell you that the building is on fire then you can be rest assured of this. If you know this building's on fire and you believe that, it's going to affect how you behave. So what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying it's not a matter of just what you and I believe. It is how we behave. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, picking up at verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, underline that, make every effort, do you see it, to keep what? To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who's over all and in all. Now, so we can say this, the first key to a great church is unity. Now, what Paul does here is Paul begins to talk, first of all, about his call and his cost. And, and let me say this, when God calls you and I, and we are following Christ, there is a cost. In fact, you can write that down, the call cost. Paul said, listen, in verse 1, or, or he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life that is worthy of that calling. You and I have been called by God, but that call cost. Paul says it here. Now, he's not, this is not the first time in chapter 3, verse 1. Do you see it? In Ephesians 3, 1, For this reason, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, now he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, what Paul says, when you and I are living a life, when we are behaving like Christ, when we are living a life that bears, a behavior that bears evidence of what we believe, 
then Paul says there's going to be a cost to that. Paul says it here. He says, in fact, I wrote it down here. Live a life that is, listen to this, that is proof of your perfection. He says, bear testimony, give evidence. In fact, he uses the word here. He says, worthy of a, to live a life worthy of the calling. And the word is oxios in the Greek. It is, it is the idea of a balanced life. Now, now, everyone listen to me. This is critical. Paul uses this word oxios this idea of being balanced, and what Paul is saying is on one side, you're professing something, I'm professing something. On the other side, we're practicing it. What Paul is saying is, is that the life that we live, how we behave, ought to balance out with what we believe. Does that make sense? Now, now watch this closely. This is critical. If you and I are professing something but we're not living it out, then the world would call us what? A hypocrite. A hypocrite is a life that is out of balance. These are, these are times when you and I may be professing more than we are practicing. We are believing something, but we're not behaving in that manner. So Paul says, oxios, live a life that is worthy. A hypocrite, their life is out of balance. Now, Paul said this in verse 1. He said that you and I, listen, hear me, we are to be a good witness. A witness to what? Two things here. Number one, our relationship to Christ. You see, as a believer, a follower of Christ, I am a child of the King. I'm a child of God. Paul said, I mean, John said that. To whom he, listen, God gives us the power to become, listen to this, the sons or the children of God. As a child of God, I am in a relationship to Christ. This is what Paul said in Acts 26 to Agrippa. He said, I'm a child of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I am in the family of God. There's a relationship. Paul said, listen in verse 1, bear witness to that relationship. Don't be ashamed of it. And then Paul says, bear witness of that fellowship. It's not that I have a relationship with God. It is that I am in fellowship with God. Hear me, your testimony is not simply when you got saved. Your testimony is what God is doing in your life right now. In other words, you and I are just simply looking at one another, and if somebody says to you, well, share your testimony, you automatically say, well, let me tell you what God is doing in my life right now. This week, man, God has revealed some things in His Word that I have never, I've never seen before. I mean, listen, the other day I had my cup of coffee. I was sitting at the dining room table. I opened up a passage of Scripture. I asked God to guide my eyes. I began to look at this passage. I thought, well, God, I've read this a thousand times. When all of a sudden the presence of the Holy Spirit, it was as if God wrapped His arms around me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, but there's something you've never seen before. Have you ever had that happen to you? You see, your testimony is not only your relationship with Christ, it is your fellowship with Him. So Paul says this, he says, listen, the call, number one, the call cost. 
Number two, the character of a believer will conform. Watch what he goes on to say here in verse 2. Be completely... And what Paul does here is he begins to talk about this Christ-like character that begins to take control of our life. We change. The Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit... Listen, a Christian is Jesus living where? In me. So all of a sudden now, I am filled, I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. Christ is now living His life in me and through me. My character begins to conform to the characteristics of Christ. I begin to look and to act and to think and to be like Jesus. That's what it means there. I wrote this down. Christ-like character will lead to unity in the church in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in your workplace, in every single area of your life and my life. The more you and I are being conformed into the image of Christ, the more we'll begin to find unity among the relationships of the people around us. And my friend, especially if they're believers, but listen, look this way, and even when they are not, You see, this is what Paul was saying. And Paul begins to break down the characteristics of a Christian. Let me read to you something Harry Arnside said. He was a great expositor and a great teacher from years ago, a great Bible expositor. Listen to what he said. Brilliant man who's since gone to be with the Lord, I believe. He said, I spent quite a bit of time. He's talking about this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. This convicted me. He said, I spent quite a bit of time on this verse. It went home to my heart, for every expression in it was a challenge to me. I kept asking myself the question, to what extent have I risen to the standard that Paul has here set forth? He said, I must present this to others as the divine standard for Christians' behavior. But to what extent am I measuring up to it? And the more I carefully examined every expression, both in the English and in the original Greek, listen to what Paul, listen to what Harry Arnside said, this great Bible expositor. He said, the more I exegeted the English into the Greek, the more I studied it, the more humiliated and ashamed before God I was as how I realized how far short I have often come of the character of Christ. Wow. The character traits of Christ, of what it means to be a Christian. Now listen to me. Those in this room who see themselves as spiritual, you know, a lot of times when we see ourselves as spiritual, we start believing what other people are saying about us. Sometimes that's dangerous because we become difficult to grade. This is a great man of God saying, as I looked at this passage, I realized how far short I fall of what God intends for me to be. Isn't that true? Sometimes the more spiritual we get, the more difficult we are to grade when it comes to grading ourselves. We make the mistake of beginning to believe what other people are saying about us. Let me tell you this much. It's not what other people are saying about you and I. It's what Jesus Christ is saying about us. I can tell you here lately, the church has proven just how ugly she can be. 
Rick Warren, the founder of Saddleback Church and, and the writer of The Purpose Driven Life, The Purpose Driven Church, um, I've watched him go through the grieving process of his son. His youngest son committed suicide, dealt with issues, dealt with mental issues, dealt with problems in his life, and took his life two or three weeks ago. Rick and Kay Warren had spent that day with their son. They had fellowship with their son. Rick said, we had done everything possible. We had given him the best doctors, the best counseling. We had spent, as, you know, we had done everything that we possibly could. He said, we had had a good time with our son. But then the next day, his son took his life, a Saturday. I, I've watched Rick Warren through Facebook and through Twitter. And my friend, the enormous amount of pain that he has felt not as he's processed the loss of his son, but he's processed how cruel the body of believers can be. The church, even the most spiritual of us, can sometimes be ugly and be mean. If you don't believe that, you look at John the Beloved. The closest to Jesus... When Jesus was talking about his going to the cross, John the Beloved was wondering about his position in heaven, where he would be. You see, this passage is for every single one of us. You see, so the key to unity, what Paul is saying here to the church at Ephesus is he's saying these qualities need to be in our lives. The church, even as spiritual as you and I may sometimes be, can take an honest look at this and say, you know, there's room for improvement. Now watch what Paul says here. He says, be completely, let's say it together, humble. Humble. That idea of humility. The Greeks and the Romans had no word for humility. John Wesley, according to John Wesley, they had no word. But it's the idea of a servant heart. It's the ability to bow and to prostrate oneself before the king. I was preaching last week at Country Woods in, in, in Byram. And, and I looked at one point and during the worship, John Daniels, the pastor, was laying with his face on the, on the carpet at the altar, stretched out, fully prostrate on his face before his church, on his face but before God. That's the picture of humility. In fact, ta- let, me, let me get you to take a, take a right and just go over to Philippians, just right there close by. Look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, it's just right there real close, just a couple of pages. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, watch what Paul said to the church at Philippi. These are powerful words. Dog ear this page in your Bible. Paul says that your attitude and my attitude should be the same as that of who? Of Christ Jesus, who being in the form or the very nature of God, did not, sit, consider, it equi- did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? Nothing in the NIV. Taking the very nature of a what? A servant being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled. Who humbled him? Everyone looked this way. 
I can remember a lot of times that I'd get pretty... I, I, I was all boy. Man, I was all boy. I could get into trouble. I mean, I could get in trouble in a minute. And my dad would do this. Sometimes he'd look at me. Before he'd spank me, he'd say this. He'd say, now, son, I'm getting ready to bring you down a few notches. Boy, Jeff, I knew that wasn't any good. I knew that wasn't going to be pretty. Man, I was putting on 14 pair of underwear, getting ready, because he's getting ready to bring me down a few notches. What he was getting ready to say was, I'm getting ready to humble you, son. You're, you're proud, you're arrogant, you're uncontrollable, so I'm going to humble you, I'm going to bring you back under control. Now listen to me closely. The Bible puts it in the imperative. You and I, the Bible says it all the way, to, uh, James says it, Peter says it. Listen, you know what the Bible tells us? Humble yourselves. Do you know why the Bible says to humble ourselves? Because if we don't, guess who will? You want to guess? God. You see, pride goes before what? It goes before fall. So, so what the enemy will do, the enemy will fill us with pride, give us an arrogant spirit, and, and, and before long, listen, we'll be out of the control of God's Holy Spirit. And so what God says, humble yourself or I'll humble you. And boy, he can do it, can't he? You see, so humility. Listen to what William Carey, the father of modern missions, said. William Carey, I wrote this down, William Carey, the father of modern missions, lay dying on the deck of a ship. Now imagine that. This great man of God is dying on the deck of a ship. Those people begin to gather around him, followers of Christ, begin to gather around him and listen, as he lay dying, they begin to praise his accomplishments. William Carey, who was dying, said these words, I do not want you to talk about William Carey. I want you to talk about William Carey's Savior. And when I am dead, that's the only thing that matters. Well, he did die. And do you know when in his tomb there in Singapore, do you know what is written on his tombstone? Exactly what he said. In fact, these words, he wrote, A poor, weak, and helpless one, on thy arm I fall. You see, we're to be, the Bible says, to be humble. That picture of, of a servant heart, that picture of being prostrate before kings. But then look what he goes on to say. He also says being humble and what? Gentle. You know, um, in fact, he uses, this, this word's only used eight times. And what it means is it means strength under control. Now, it's not just talking about physical strength, strength, but it's also talking about mental strength. In other words, what it means is this, is that you and I, as strong as we are, need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now that's critical. So the Bible says here, it says, listen, to be gentle. Now this idea here was, there wasn't nothing new about this. War horses were trained by the Roman army literally to die for their rider. They protected their rider. There was strength under control. You see, many in this room, some of you in this room, you know the reason why God can't use you? Because you're not broken. Let me ask you something. What is it going to take for God to get your attention? You see, I can't get your attention now. You see, I can't even get your attention. So imagine God not being able to get your attention. Everybody look this way. Just stop whatever you do, and then you can go back and dilly-dally, do whatever you want. Let me tell you this much. God will get your attention one day. 
Okay? Now, it may be too late. But God, just like the Bible says, God will humble up, humble yourselves, or God will humble you. Listen, God will get your attention. He'll get my attention. There's been times that God has gotten my attention. Now, what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying, listen, you and I are best used by God when we're broken by God. Listen to what Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says. Jesus said, take my yoke. Now, that picture of yoke is being under control. Take my yoke upon you. Did you hear it? Take my yoke upon you. Lambano in the Greek. It means to take. You're taking the yoke of Christ and listen what you're going, what's going to happen. And learn from me. Now listen to what Jesus said. He says about himself. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Now watch this. And you will find rest for your souls. R.C. Sproul in marriage seminars said this. Men, listen closely. He said, I ask women what qualities they desire in a man. The answer is always the same. Confidence, strength, tenderness. Men, listen to that. Listen to that. Confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. Strength. Now listen to the last one. Over and over again, Sproul said this, tenderness. He went on to make this statement. He said, I think tenderness puts restraints on the other two qualities. There is a link between strength and confidence and tenderness. A person who is strong and is confident in his strength can afford to be tender. There is a tremendous difference between confidence and arrogance. Wow. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, listen. He says, be completely humble and gentle and be patient. And he uses a word there. I think it's an interesting word. He uses a word in the Greek called, the word is macrothumia. Now, thumia may trigger your mind because that's where we get our word thermos. Macro means long. If you say somebody has a short fuse, what are you saying? Got a temper. Short fuse means they're, they're a hothead. They get, they get angry real quick. They, got a, they, they don't have a long fuse. They fight fire with fire. Tit for tat, you kick my dog, I'll kick your cat. That's their motto. Listen to what one counselor said. One counselor made this analogy, and this convicted me. Listen, men. Listen, ladies. A counselor made this statement. He said, every human being has in his personality certain minefields made up of minds that are hidden beneath the surface. These are sensitive points where we respond out of proportion to the situation because these are areas wherein we are easily provoked. In some people's field, he goes on to say, there may be only one or two minds for every ten acres of field. But listen to this. These people are easy to get along with. I'm married to one of them. With other people, there is no self, there's no safe passageway through their field because it's wall to wall landmines. They are touchy, they're sensitive, they're always getting angry, they're always getting all upset, and they always cause problems. Wow. 
You see, what Paul was saying is that, that you and I, as we begin to evidence the character of Christ, we need to be completely gentle and humble, and we need to be macrothumia, which means that we need to have a long fuse. We're not short-fused kind of people. We don't. Now, now listen to me. I had a condition called road rage. Anybody got that problem? Oh, preachers can do all right till we get on the road. And we drive like a bat out of hell. Now, a bat out of hell must mean that a bat's moving pretty quickly to get out of hell. But I believe this. I believe that our enemy, the devil, affects a lot of us and ruins our testimony once we get behind, once we get behind the wheel. We look like somebody out of the pit of hell. We, we're not macrothumia. We have a short fuse. We get irritated with people and how they drive and how they respond. And before long, we're just struggling. Now, what Paul is saying here is that you and I are to have a long fuse. We're to have that macrothumia. We are to allow... Do you ever imagine Christ being short-fused? That doesn't even make sense, does it? The Bible said that he was gentle and humble and he was patient. You know, I thank God he's patient with me. Do you realize how many times you and I would be smoldering ashes if God wasn't patient? I could just see all the times I've disappointed God that God just says, hand me a lightning, hand me a lightning bolt, quick. There he goes, whoa! Now watch what Paul goes on to say. Paul says, be patient, and he ex- it's as if he's ex- expanding on that. Do you see it? He says, bearing with one another in love, and that is the idea of putting up with one another. Lewis Talbert told this story, and I thought it was so good. I want you to listen. It's a little bit long, but listen. It is a grace which Christians should possess who live with unconverted loved ones. Now, for those of you in this room that you live with somebody that's not a Christian or you're close to somebody that's not a Christian, listen. He goes on to tell this story. Lewis Talbot said this. He said, My brother, now in glory, was a pastor of a church in the city of of St. Louis. He said, I spent a week with him on one occasion and on the Lord's Day attended his church where I had the privilege of hearing him expound the Word of God. At the close of the service, he introduced me to a faithful Christian woman whose face was deeply furrowed. She looked like a woman who had gone through a great deal. Some of you are bringing wrinkles in the face of other people while you're living a life of just absolute pure hell. And it'll come back to haunt you. He went on to make this statement. He said, I looked at this woman for a moment. He said, later my brother told me the story of her life. For 18 years she had put up with the demands of her husband. He was a drunkard and he demanded a great deal and he was unbelievable. And one evening he came home in a fit of temper because he had fallen in the mud while under the influence of alcohol. When he entered the house, he removed his shoes, and in an ugly fit of rage, he threw his shoes to his wife and commanded her to clean them and polish them. Down to the basement she went. She picked those shoes up, and she polished the shoes as unto the Lord. She returned them to him so well shined that he could almost see his face in them. In fact, he did see the reflection of his face. His heart was broken. He saw in those shining shoes not just his face, but the reflection of the face of the Lord. 
For years, his wife had been living the example. She had walked worthy of her high calling. This last act of her evidencing forbearance and meekness was used by God not only to show his sinfulness to himself, but also to manifest the glory of Christ in the life of his wife. Now listen to what he closes with. Immediately, this man, her husband, was led to accept Christ. He became a holy, happy saint, transformed by Christ, he had, he's been seen living for the Lord since that day. You see, when Paul says here, bearing with one another in love, what Paul is saying is this spirit of, I won't strike back. Can you imagine in the passion of Christ as people were slapping Jesus and spitting on him? You be the Christ, prophet, and tell us who slapped you. The Bible said that he wouldn't retaliate. Aren't you glad that God does not retaliate? And then Paul goes on to say, he talks about the call cost. He talks about character conforming. And then watch what he says here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now we're going to close in a moment, but this is critical. The other night I was laying in my bed and I just began to cry. I was crying over Silas and worried about my little grandson. I was crying about things in the church, crying about the loss of my dear friend Fort Clyde. I was, my heart was so heavy. And then I was just wanting time with my family. And I thought, you know, God, I, I'm laying in bed and I'm crying and it's dark and I'm just laying there and I'm just pouring my heart out before the Lord. And I said, you know, Lord, I said, I would just love to gather up all my family, all my children and in-laws and my, and my grandchildren, just take them all. There's a big, there's a, my sister, when she married down in Florida, there's a big, massive house that sits down on the beach in Destin. And I thought I'd just love to take them all and carry them there and just be able to love on my family, my kids and my grandkids for a while and spend some time with them. An overwhelming presence of the Lord came into that bedroom. And it was like God said, I wish I had all of my children here in heaven with me now so I could just love on them. You see, God wants you and I together. Now, I don't have time to read it, but you can go back and read John 17, verses 20 through 23. Because Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, I want my kids united, all of them together. I have never, in raising four kids, looked at my wife and said, isn't that a sweet sound? Listen to them fighting and arguing back there in their, in their bedroom. Now, Paul says this in verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep that means to guard, that means to preserve, that means to maintain this peace. He said it's in the, it is in the present tense, which means that this is continually something that you and I are going to have to work to do. It is hard to keep a marriage together. It is hard to keep children and a family together. It is hard to keep a workplace together. It's hard to keep a church together. But Paul says, listen, make every single effort to keep unity, no matter the cost, to you personally. You be gentle, you be humble, you be long-suffering, macothumia, you be long-patient with those people around you. Why? Because listen to the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is And he says, Jesus said before he went to the cross, 
I want them to be one. On the mission field, listen, on the mission field, tags are lost. Theological preferences, denominational tags are set aside in mission, on the mission field. We're just all about the kingdom of God. Let me give you a test and we'll close in a moment. Let me ask you a question. In fact, let me give you four questions. You think about this. Now, this is not for your spouse. Okay, ladies, don't go, well, I hope he's listening to this. You take notes. The preacher's got a test for you. This is not for a parent to look at their child and say, well, I hope you're listening to the preacher. And this is not for a child to say, well, I hope my parents listen this time. Listen to this. In fact, in, in, in a lot of times in class, you said to take out a half sheet of paper, but because you don't have a half sheet of paper, I'll just trust you to listen and answer. Number one, do you make every effort in the relationships that you are a part of to keep unity? Did you hear that? In the relationships that you're in, do you make every effort to keep unity? Now, what you're saying is, yes, but if she, yes, but if he, yes, but if mom and dad, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. That's not what I ask. That's not what Paul said here. Paul said you, you and I. He says you make every effort to keep unity. So do you make every effort in the relationships that you're a part of to keep unity? Number two, are you committed to peace even though it may cost you your pride, a little extra work or whatever? Are you so committed to peace and unity in your home and your marriage and your relationships that you're willing to create such a servant heart that you're willing to give in? Boy, I tell you what, I used to try to pick a fight with Sheila. There's some days I'd come in, I was in a bad mood, I didn't feel good, and I'd literally go in thinking, I'm going to pick a fight with Sheila. Make me feel better. But she's macrothumia. She just has a long fuse. Are, are you willing, are you willing to suffer in order to keep unity? Number two, are you committed to peace even though it may cost you your pride, your little extra work? Number three, do you have a servant heart and are you willing to go the second mile? You know what Jesus said? He said, listen, when your enemy comes up, a Roman soldier come up, tap somebody on the shoulder and say, carry my armor. Now imagine that. You're walking out of Walmart, somebody comes up and says, hey, 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 you, old man, come here. Carry my groceries out to the car. Imagine, imagine you picking up their groceries and, and be glad to. Putting them in the car and saying, well, you got a little spot on your car here. Let me get that. You go into second mile, doing over and beyond what's been asked of you. Number four, do you believe, listen to this, do you believe that love never fails? Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Do you believe it? That is a promise of Scripture. You can hang your hat on it. You can hang it up there and you can say, love never fails. God, you said it. God, I'm committed to it. Could I ask you this? Are you compassionate, courteous, considerate Christian? Are you humble? Are you gentle? Mark Driscoll wrote in a blog. He said, I'm writing a statement to all my Reformed friends. In other words, people out of his theological persuasion, those people that share theologically some of the beliefs that he shares. And he made this statement, he said, were we judging Rick Warren's absence at some of our events when we did not have all the facts? In other words, the Reformed, uh, reformed those of the Reformed theological position, 
would invite Rick Warren to speak at some of their functions, and Rick Warren, at the last minute, would back out and not come. Now, Rick Warren, I don't know if he shares some of those theological positions, so they may have taken it personally. But Mark Driscoll said this. He said, did we judge Rick Warren because we did not have all the facts? My friend, listen. You know what the Bible says? Listen, everybody listen. We don't judge nobody. We have no right to judge nobody because there's not a person in this room that has all the facts. Now, let me tell you how to cure road rage and then we'll pray. Road rage, rage, road rage. <laughs> Sheila and I have a game. And I'm, I'm telling you this, if you listen to me, it will change your life from this moment on. You'll never be the same. Are you listening? Nod your head if you're listening. Sheila and I have a game to where when somebody frustrates us, we make up a story. It is cured road rage. It is cured getting frustrated with a waitress or a waiter. It is cured getting frustrated in every, nearly every dynamic of relationships over and over again. Somebody will whip over and cut in on Sheila and I. And about that time, one of us will get mad. I'll start to get mad. You know, you want to pull out and cut, cut back in on them. And Sheila says, uh, she says, don't, don't get angry at her. She just found out her husband was running around having an affair. Sheila say, don't get mad at him. His, his child is at the ER. He's on his way to the ER. Don't get mad at him. Somebody will be rude and Sheila says, don't, don't get mad at him. His company just terminated him. He's been let go. He doesn't have a job. Sometimes Sheila will get frustrated. And I look at her and I say, don't get mad at her. She just got a bad diagnosis from the doctor. She has breast cancer. She's got two small kids. Sometimes when a trucker does something silly on the road, I think about Carl Voltz who drives a truck. Sometimes I'll think about when Ledge was driving a van. and I think about that's somebody's son. Be patient. In fact, let me tell you... You remember a few years ago when a man hit a boy at a bus stop? An old man hit a boy at a bus stop and he left the scene. And we were all, people were angry. They were so angry. This man just hit this child. This child died and they were so angry. Until we knew the rest of the story. His wife had cancer. His wife was taking treatment. His wife was dying. And he had been with his wife, been with her in treatment, and was on his way home and was deadbeat tired and didn't see the little boy. He was an old man. He was confused. You see, we didn't know the rest of the story. We didn't know what was going on in his life. Listen, once that family knew that, they forgave him. Once we knew it, we were willing to forgive. All we needed was more information. My friend, hear me. When you and I begin to develop the character and the characteristics of Christ, 
then we'll find that life is far better than what we're living now. Let me get you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you, dear Lord, that you are patient with us. We thank you that, dear Lord Jesus, that you were gentle and humble. You were long-suffering. You, you, you work to keep the unity of the Spirit. You call us to do the same because we have one Lord, one God, one baptism, one faith. The Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And so, Lord, we pray today that we might work hard and make a great effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We pray, dear Lord, that we would learn to be more gentle, that we would learn to be completely humble, that we would learn to make every effort to be at peace with all men. Lord, there's some in this room, they don't bring unity, they bring heartache. They don't bring peace, they bring just, just absolute war. God, would you get a hold of their hearts today whether it's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, may they allow the Prince of Peace, the Paraclete, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, may they allow your Holy Spirit to take control of their spirit. May they learn to be humble and gentle. May they get their eyes off of themselves, consumed with what makes them happy, what makes them comfortable, seeking their pleasures, their comfort, their convenience at the cost of everyone around them. That is contrary to Christ. May we be more like Jesus. May we have a servant heart. May we do as Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Let him follow me. God, speak to us. Speak to us. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that this would be the day that they would give their heart and their life to you and begin to live for you, begin to serve you. That they would open up and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Live that life in me, through me. Father, for others in this room that are filled with rage, they get angry there. Their, their, their personalities are just a, a landmine of all kinds of explosive devices. Everything, they're touchy, they're sensitive, they're irritable, and people walk around like they're on eggshells around them. May you convict their hearts and cause them, dear Lord, to realize that they, dear Lord, need to give their heart and their life to you. Create, as David said, in me a pure heart. Create in me a clean spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. Father, we give this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.